a new station, the Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the Voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to another edition of the Pathway to Peace show here on the Voice of Islam radio. A show where we take an analytical look at how we can achieve peace, whether that be political peace, economic peace, societal peace or inner peace. One key way that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has been working to help bring peace into the world is through regular peace conferences and symposiums. These events take place all over the world and bring together those from across the religious and political spectrum. The community brings people together, invites speakers from other faiths and aims to foster an environment of peace and tolerance. The Pathway to Peace show has covered peace symposiums in the past, but today we have something a little bit different. On the 26th of March 2022 in Athens in Greece, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community of Greece held their sixth annual peace conference. The theme of the conference was Islam and Europe, peace, identity and integration. There was an address given by Imam Atal Nasir, the national president of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community of Greece. There were speeches from other leading figures in the worlds of faith and the community. The highlight was the reading of a special message written for the conference by His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand, the worldwide head and caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. This was the first such time that such a message had been sent to the peace conference in Greece and something people particularly appreciated. In today's show, we'll examine the address given by Imam Atal Nasir, the national president, which included the reading of the message from His Holiness Hazrat Mizza Masur Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya community. This morning, I was blessed with the opportunity to speak to Imam Nasir directly, and I'm happy to share that we'll be playing that interview in full as well, so you can all hear firsthand what happened and what he had to say about the event, including a special guest who spoke at the event, but I'll say no more on that one. We'll come to that later in the show. Joining me as ever to examine this topic and draw out the key highlights of the event is my co-host Sufyan Farooqi. Sufyan, assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Let me start with a question. Did you know that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Greece had been holding peace conferences and this was actually their sixth year? Wa alaikum salam, Arif. It's a pleasure to be here on the Pathway to Peace show once again and welcome to our listeners. You know, the peace conference is something that, that has been world-renowned for the Ahmadiyya Muslim community for many, many years now. And it was started by His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, shortly after he became the caliph in, in 2003. And if I'm not mistaken, RF, the first peace conference here in the UK actually kicked off in 2004. Uh, so it was very, very historic from, from that sense. And then since that time, obviously, people tried to replicate uh, what's happening here where the caliph resides in the UK. So I I would have guessed that Greece probably does hold a peace conference, but for it to get the coverage that it did this year in particular, and for it to be a, their sixth conference, I didn't know <laughs> that, and I didn't know it had been going on that long. But that is quite remarkable for a country like Greece, you know, where... Uh, obviously, the the community. I'm not I'm not fully aware of how big the community is, and maybe uh, Imam Nasir will share that in the interview yep. uh, as, as to the the magnitude of of the uh, community in Greece. But for for the progress of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community 
it is just a it is huge and and the this year Greece got coverage as as you and I saw in the Review of Religions magazine that is uh, a very uh, prestigious magazine and one that's been around for a hundred years and uh, the message of his holiness to the conference this year was was quite special because we're living here in the UK obviously we kind of take it for granted that we get messages from his holiness all the time but for folks around the world to receive even a written message uh, from his holiness is is very very unique and very very special and is very near and dear to the hearts of all Ahmadi Muslims that hear that message and oftentimes what's, what's really fascinating Arif is that you know, even though His Holiness wasn't there actually physically delivering the address, I'm sure it impacted the hearts of those in attendance even when it was read uh, by Imam Nasir. Yeah, exactly. And I think also, uh, which was exactly what we're listening to in the in our interview from him as well. And I think for me personally, whenever I hear the term peace symposium or peace conference associated with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, I think of the the beautiful Mosafian that we're sat, lucky to be sat just a few meters away from right now, which is the Battle for Two Mosque in, in Morden in, in South London, has been synonymous in my mind, at least, with peace conferences. Because we often think about that. You mentioned, uh, you know, there's been many peace conferences that have happened here. The uh, the community has also uh, created a peace prize, which was also presented uh, often at uh, at this uh, location. So in my mind, we sort of think of this area, but to think that actually this idea and this concept of peace conferences is spread and perpetuated throughout the world of course why shouldn't it but really interesting for me that like you said for Greece not only is it established there but it's happened for multiple years um, so so let's uh, let's move forward and, and try and analyze and, and dig into this a little bit more so I think a good place for us to start then uh, is to actually look at what was um, said at that um, um, conference and to start with what better place can we start than the actual message from His Holiness which uh, Sufyan I believe you have the full message here and you're going to read Ye- that for us Yeah indeed so that anybody that's interested in, in reading the message themselves can pick up the June edition of the Review of Religions magazine uh, or even online uh, it should either be available now or very very shortly uh, we're at www.reviewofreligions.org that's reviewofreligions.org you can read the message in full uh, His Holiness addressed the uh, congregation and the conference in Greece uh, with a very very uh, beautiful message and it reads as follows he said I am very pleased that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community Greece is holding its national peace symposium today with the theme of Islam and Europe peace, identity, and integration. I pray that Allah the Almighty blesses this event in all respects and it fulfills its objectives to advance the cause of peace in the world. Unquestionably, the world is passing through extremely precarious and dangerous times, reminiscent of the dark days of the past. Opposing blocks and alliances are forming and it seems as though the world is set upon inviting its own destruction. Today, there are a host of countries who have acquired nuclear bombs or other destructive weapons that have potential the potential to destroy civilization as we know it. If nuclear weapons are ever used, it will not just be us who bear the consequences. Rather, our children and future generations will have to suffer for our sins. Generations of children will be born with intellectual and physical disabilities 
and have their hopes and dreams shattered through no fault of their own. Is that the parting legacy we wish to bequeath to those who follow us? The horrific conflict taking place in Ukraine has cast a frightening shadow upon the world and in particular upon Europe. Most regrettably, it is the never-ending craving for power and wealth, whether on the part of Russia, the Western world, or other major powers, that has led mankind down such a dangerous path that threatens to shatter the peace of the world. If, God forbid, the current situation escalates further, the consequences do not bear thinking about. Hence, at this time, world leaders and all those people or organizations that have any degree of influence must set aside all vested interests and priorities and prioritize the peace and security of the world. We must all recognize the reality that all nations are dependent upon one another and that we are now living in an increasingly interconnected and globalized world. Instead of seeking to build barriers or to isolate ourselves, it is essential that nations and people of different backgrounds cooperate and work together for the common good. One way taught by Islam to reduce conflict in the world is to focus on the commonalities that unite us as opposed to any differences that may exist. Irrespective of differences of race, religion, nationality, or social background, we are united as human beings, and so it is vital that we instill within ourselves and our nations a spirit of sincere love and compassion towards others. It is the need of the time that we will join forces in the cause of peace and justice and work towards building a better future for our children and future generations. It is my ardent and heartfelt prayer that may the world's leaders see sense before it is too late and that all brutalities and injustices taking place, whether they be in Ukraine, Yemen, Africa, or any other part of the world, come to a swift end. Let us all, irrespective of our differences, join together and work with a spirit of mutual respect, tolerance, and sincerity towards developing true and sustainable peace in the world. May Allah the Almighty enable mankind to pull back from the brink of catastrophe and for peace and justice to prevail in the world. Amin. With best wishes and prayers, yours sincerely, Mirza Masrur Ahmed, Khalifatul Masih the Fifth. Quite, quite humbling and, and somber words, really, because that does summarise uh, the challenge we have right now. And if you imagine, uh, Sufyan, this uh, conference took place in May 2022, sorry, March, a time when the Ukraine conflict was even more uh, in sharp focus than, than, you know, it still is now. But those days were very early when there was a lot of uh, um, concern about what was happening. But the points are, are very sobering, aren't they? The formation of blocks is one thing His Holiness talked about, right? That is the formation of blocks and the uh, availability of nuclear weapons. Like those two things combined for me are quite quite scary. Yeah, indeed. They're, they're very, very scary. And it's not the first time that His Holiness has mentioned that at a peace conference. So it is a message that uh, His Holiness has been giving to world leaders. And um, about a decade ago now, His Holiness was, was making that same 
call for people to, you know, denuclearize, demilitarize. And at that time, His Holiness was um, looked at as, as by some as a, a very pessimistic person. But we see today how the tide has changed and all of those that thought back then that His Holiness uh, was being quite pessimistic now have come back and said that actually he was probably uh, telling us um, great words of wisdom and insight. And only now is the world realizing the the power of, of that message that His Holiness has been giving for, for so long. And the, going back to the blocks, I mean, His Holiness had seen that blocks were forming yeah. uh, almost a decade ago as well. So that's just uh, fascinating. And it's almost, I was thinking today about at one point do we say we are in a world conflict? Because if if there is a conflict between Ukraine and Russia, for example, mm. yet you have support on either side, right? If there are foreign powers that are giving military support and things to one side of that, and there's the other side of it being backed by other big nations and powers and alliances, that almost starts to become a war. You could call it a proxy war, perhaps, but it starts to slip into world conflict, really. It's a it's a dangerous slope. And if, if we look at history and we look at the first two world wars that occurred, I mean, it, re- it was really, it, it really all started with one kind of, almost civil war or war between two two countries and then it slowly escalated into yep. a global thing and it only takes one trigger so one wrong move by either side and it can it can blow out of proportion very very quickly and i think that's why the world is on edge today as it was in march even when this peace conference took place and this message was read that uh, people are are really really concerned about the situation of of the world, and whether it be the uh, West and and Europe, or or Russia, and its um, its allies that uh, start maybe make a wrong move, uh, this this thing can get out of hand really really quickly. And I guess especially if you layer on another point His Holiness made, which is that the world about it, the world being very much global and interconnected these days. So I think we've seen that with with simple things like, you know, supply chains and the price of commodities, for example, a conflict in one part of the world has an immediate knock on in another area and it can disrupt an economy, it can cause social issues, which then lead to their own issues and can lead to conflict in their own right. Yeah. And on that point, I mean, to to bring it to real, real terms, at least for Brits, uh, a very very popular dish here in the UK is fish and chips, and I was talking to a friend just last night about, you know, the price of fish and chips. Uh, when I learned that he's working in a fish and chip shop, I was like, the price is insane. It used to be eight nine pounds for a large fish and chips, and now it's almost fifteen pounds. What's going on? He's like, it's because we can't get fish from Russia anymore. The price has gone up. So, uh, even though we're putting sanctions on 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 Russia, we being the West. Uh, it, it appears that we're also suffering from those sanctions as well. Yeah, and it's, it's a, I mean, that's a, 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 like a nice light-hearted example of your inflation there, but it's interesting as well is that, you know, that inflation, whether it's at takeaway food or, or groceries and things like that, it leads to, it can lead to uh, an economic spiral that can lead to loss of jobs and, and you know, lack of security around jobs. And we all, always know as well that when economic hardships increase, that leads to things like, um, more hostility towards migrants or, or people from ethnic communities and things like this. So it's like a complex web of interconnection. But also, as soon as things start getting squeezed from a, let's say, financial point of view, it starts to have a knock-on effect in terms of social peace as well because people start looking at, you know, some yeah. ugly things start happening then. 
Yeah, and, then, and you can even apply that to, to, to family, right? If you take your family unit and all of a sudden yep. there's a disruption in the income, you do notice that, that you're, you're on edge. It's like, okay, well, we can't do this because we have to save money to make sure we can cover the bills. And, and even amongst your family relations, thing, things get kind of tense. Your kids want to go out to eat and you're like, money's tight right now, so mm. how, do you, how do you manage it? So, so you, you take, take that small unit in the family and you expand that out to, to countries and nations and, and, and the conflict just gets, gets bigger and bigger. It's, it's the same root cause. Yep. It's that financial pressure that everyone's feeling, but that puts people on edge, puts world leaders on edge, puts countries on edge, and then one wrong move by somebody else and aggravates that country in the wrong way, then, you know, God forbid, you know, things can get really bad really quickly. Definitely. So let's let's look at one thing His Holiness mentioned about in terms of how Islam helps to reduce the conflict in the world. He mentioned that um, focusing on the commonalities that unite us as opposed to the differences that may exist. I think this is crucial and he goes on to say irrespective of race religion nationality or social background we're united as human beings and i think that is it might sound almost cliched it's something you hear a lot but it's for me personally um when i read the message of malcolm x um, when he went to the hajj and then he returned he specifically called out you know first he said something rare which is you know he stated that he was wrong <laughs> he mm. made a mistake and he said when he saw you know, his his nationalist views were corrected because when he went to Hajj and he saw people from all different faiths and different creeds together dressed in a simple white sheet that had a deep impact on him about the you know what Islam really teaches about equality and it made him realize that this was something, you know, very important. And for me that's a key tenet of Islam and it feels like the world needs that now, you know, more than ever. Yeah, we need to remember that we're all human beings and his holiness highlighted that. You know, at the end of the day we're all from the same same fabric uh so no matter your race and your color and it it's it really difficult to see right now you know the difference between ukrainians and and, and russians i mean they're one and the same if you if yeah. you really think about it uh, so so it makes it even harder to understand you know what what are the differences here that they're they're, they're they come from the same same fabric so you know the, this conflict right now in in Ukraine and and Russia is one that we're all praying comes to a swift end so that that we don't see the the devastating consequences that His Holiness has has alluded to in in this very powerful message. And I think the last thing we'll say on this this topic before we move on is he also drew attention to other places. He specifically called out Yemen. Mm. And I had a look and, you know, the civil war in Yemen actually started in 2014. So there's been these other longer running conflicts. We've seen what happened in Syria. We've seen uh, similar issues in Afghanistan and other parts of the world. It's not just those areas that maybe the media in the West are putting in front of us. There's other long running conflicts that are, you know, equally um, things we should um, pay attention to, be worried about and try and you know, try and help resolve in, in some way. So, so let's uh, let's move on to the next section. So uh, you are listening to the Pathway to Peace show on the Voice of Islam radio. Be sure to follow us at v- Voice of Islam UK on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and TikTok and use the hashtag VOI Peace, all one word, to send us your thoughts, comments and feedback. Uh, today we're looking at the sixth national symposium in March 2022 held in Athens in Greece. Um, organized by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Greece. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we're lucky to have an interview um, 
with Imam Adal Nasir, who's the national president of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Greece, and he also gave the the keynote address uh, at the event. I caught up with him this morning. Uh, let's take a listen to what he had to say about the event. Imam Adal Nasir, thank you very much for joining us. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Welcome to the show, first of all. Wa alaikum assalam, rahmatullahi barakatuh. Thank you very much for having me. So first of all, if you can just tell us a little bit about the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Greece itself. Uh, I, I know you're the, currently the national president of the uh, community in Greece. How long has the community been in Greece and how long have you been there as well? Um, the history goes very far. Um, I think the first uh, person to arrive uh, uh, in Greece um, was uh, one of the companions of the Promised Messiah, um, Malvi Ahmaduddin Sahib. And it was not a planned trip. Uh, to Greece, but uh, uh, because of some difficulties in Albania, he had to uh, come to uh, Greece for a few months and then he moved on. I think he went back uh, to India. Uh, but uh, the first, I think, uh, missionary or uh, uh, an imam who came uh, from the Ahmadiyya Muslim community to Greece uh, was him. Uh, and uh, then in 1970s, we had uh, some more members uh, from Pakistan who came and uh, started living there. Uh, they were working in uh, shipyards. So since 1970s, we have uh, a community in uh, Greece, but it's like a transit community. So people come and they move forward to other countries, other European countries. Uh, so I think thousands uh, have uh, gone uh, to other countries this way. Um, and uh, for me, I was sent uh, to Greece um, by Az uh, Khalifatul Masih the fifth Ayyad of Allah Ta'ala bin Asil Aziz uh, on uh, uh, 13th of uh, no, not 13th actually 7th of March uh, 2013 so that okay. was the date that uh, I arrived in uh, Greece yes so that's nearly 10 years now so what what, what are your experiences of the uh, I would like to get a little bit more information as well about the kind of religious makeup I think the Coptic churches quite well established in Greece and you know, what is what has your experience been over that time? So the, the, the main religion of uh, Greece is Greek Orthodox. So uh, that's the, the, the Christian, uh, Greek Orthodox Christians. So that's the religion of uh, the country. Uh, it has a, a, a huge impact on uh, uh, the, 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 let's say the political environment as well as the, you know, the, in the basic environment of the country, uh, there is a huge impact. Uh, we have Coptics as well. We do have a Catholic Church established there as well, and many other uh, religions uh, who are present there. We have, uh, let's say, a Muslim uh, minority in the north, um, about over 100,000 people who have been living there. You know, they are basically uh, indigenous population there uh, that uh, have been living there for a very long time. Uh, so they are considered as the Muslim minority of Greece and they are uh, more established in the northern um, part, which is called Thrace. Uh, and uh, in that we have, uh, you know, uh, many mosques. So you will see a huge, very, very different environment uh, to the other uh, part of, uh, let's say, Greece. Uh, in other parts of Greece, you don't see mosques. Um, there is one uh, official mosque that was opened, uh, but it's a mosque without any kind of minaret or dome. Uh, but when you go to the northern side, you have uh, you know those beautiful mosques that on in Turkish style, of course, um, with the the minarets with the domes. Uh, so it's a completely different uh, uh, let's say atmosphere uh, there. 
uh, in different parts of uh, Greece. It's really, really interesting. On, on turning to the, the uh, peace symposium you had recently in March, it was your sixth national one, I believe. Can you yes, just give yes. us a bit of background initially? So when the event was being set up and planned, you know, what, was you, what were you trying to achieve? What was the purpose of the event? And how did you go about kind of making sure, inviting, who did you invite? And a bit of, bit of information about how you went yes. about planning, that would be great. So uh, the, the peace symposiums we have been organizing since 2015. So uh, this was an event which we took permission from um, keeping in mind the, the peace symposiums that were taking place in UK. Uh, so we had seen them that uh, they had a, a huge impact uh, as far as uh, uh, this peaceful message of Islam is concerned, that it, uh, it is conveyed to people and this uh, message of uh, peace within the, the countries, uh, within the nations, within ourselves, you know, so many, there are different types of peace as well. So uh, His Holiness has been addressing this uh, for a very long time. So over 20 years, he has been addressing this uh, issue. Um, and um, in, in Greece, we started to initiate that uh, project as well. Uh, so Alhamdulillah, we did uh, our, you know, the sixth one this year, uh, and the main purpose was again this uh, this conflict that we had uh, recently um, uh, with Russia and Ukraine as well. That was in mind as well, um, and we see that uh, we are fast, you know, moving towards um, um, a global conflict, and uh, there is a need for uh, a peaceful. Uh, dialogue, a peaceful approach to whatever is taking place, because this will not just uh, impact uh, certain countries, it will impact globally. So we have seen uh, the impact of uh, just this war that has taken place with Russia and uh, Ukraine. And now we see that even more uh, preparations are being made, um, that uh, a bigger um, conflict can take place. Uh, unless we, you know, mend our ways or we uh, try to find a peaceful, you know, uh, way or peace, peaceful approach. So that this was the main purpose uh, behind uh, this event. Uh, but again, there was another uh, topic that was chosen and uh, that was with regards to the integration of Muslim because we are an Islamic organization. So we do touch uh, upon uh, different, uh, you know, topics as well. So this year, the main theme of the, the event was... Uh, uh, you know, uh, Islam uh, and Europe, uh, the, you know, integration, identity, and um, how do we, you know, f uh, address these kind of issues. So uh, we uh, organized this event, we invited, um, you know, different politicians, different uh, uh, ambassadors, diplomats, uh, and of course, uh, the general public as well, they were invited as well. But uh, this was one of the, you know, the first events that we organized after the COVID period. Uh, so uh, we were not expecting so many guests and as expected, we had uh, very less, uh, let's say, attendance uh, compared to the previous years. Um, but the message did reach uh, to people through other, uh, let's say, sources like, uh, you know, the newspapers or uh, some magazines uh, that uh, covered the, the event. So we were able to convey the message in that way. Alhamdulillah. That makes sense, especially as we're earlier in the year as well, March time was... Uh you know, COVID was still quite um, spread as well. I think people were very nervous. On, on, yes, in terms yes, of yes. the event itself, so did you receive any, like, what was the atmosphere like? I know you said you weren't able to get the numbers you had in previous years, but how, 
how was the atmosphere? How was the the message that you delivered, and and also the message from His Holiness? Um, how were they received from from the listeners and from the audience, and from people who heard it afterwards through the media? Uh, the, the the thing is that uh, the people were very open. So those people who attended the event, they were already open to this kind of message that they wanted to hear something like this. They were looking for. Uh, a peaceful approach to conflicts. They wanted to understand how Muslims, they uh, integrate in the society as well. So this is something that they wanted to learn about. That's why they uh, attended the event. Um, and uh, especially in particular, they were not aware of the, the, that Huzur's message is going to be read out. So this was something, let's say, um, a surprise for them and uh, a beautiful surprise because uh, it was the first time uh, that uh, uh, a message of Huzur was read out like this uh, in one of our peace symposiums. Uh, so it did, uh, you know, give them a very clear uh, message about what the community, uh, what the Ahmadiyya Muslim community uh, desires for the world uh, as far as the peace is concerned and what are our responsibilities and how we, we should uh, act upon this, how we should remind uh, our, uh, you know, politicians and dignitaries that how, you know, what kind of steps uh, are supposed to be taken. Uh, so I remember one, uh, you know, comment made by uh, one participant uh, of the event. And uh, uh, it was mainly about the speech, uh, because my own speech was also uh, a speech of Huzur that he had delivered previously. And I just took uh, some paragraphs from there and I presented them uh, in my speech. Uh, so his, his uh, words were that uh, the, the, the message was very straightforward, forward. So it it did not, you know, the, there were no words that were minced or, you know, a different kind of tone was used. Uh, it was a straight message that this is what is needed uh, at this particular time. Uh, so they were, they really appreciated uh, the, the, the message. Uh, and uh, people, they wanted to see more uh, events like this in the future as well. Uh, but they also wanted uh, an opportunity to ask questions. So this was something that uh, we didn't have this year. And uh, inshallah, we will do some other events uh, covering this. And actually, we did some events later on uh, to cover the Q&A sessions as well. But this is something that people wanted to you know, uh, have. And they were really uh, uh, impressed uh, by the event. And the, the, the presence of uh, some dignitaries there also uh, created uh, a beautiful atmosphere because of the different religious backgrounds and polit political backgrounds people had. So it was, it was beautiful. Mashallah, sounds very good. Anything finally that you would also like to, to share with our listeners that maybe we haven't, you haven't covered already in your answers? Uh, this year, Alhamdulillah, you know, the, the guests that we had, I wanted to introduce them uh, because we had uh, some very senior, uh, let's say, uh, panelists. Uh, so we had uh, the representative of uh, Pope, he's called the Apostolic Nuncio. Um, and uh, he is like an ambassador of uh, Holy See in Greece. Uh, so he accepted our invitation. So we had a good relation with him uh, for the past few years. And uh, through him, we had a good relation with the, the Catholic Church as well. So uh, we had initially requested the, the Archbishop of the Catholic Church to come and speak. But just a few days before the event, he, you know, uh, unfortunately, um, um, became positive with COVID. And uh, so he couldn't come and uh, attend the event. So we requested the Apostolic Nuncio that if he can, you know, speak, he was going to attend anyway. So he said that, okay, he accepted the invitation just, you know, last minute, uh, just a few days ago, uh, before before the, the event. 
and uh, then he addressed the event as well. Then we had uh, the representative of the uh, the governor of Attica as well, uh, which was also uh, something uh, new uh, for the event that uh, the regional, let's say, government was also taking an interest and uh, um, a positive step towards joining this, uh, you know, uh, peace initiative as well. Uh, we also had some other NGOs like, uh, you know, Greek Forum of Refugees. So we had the, the, the founder and director of the Greek Forum of Refugees. So these people, and then there were many communities present there, uh, which also made the event really, you know, um, let's say multicultural and multi-faith um, environment that, you know, we want to see the world uh, in that different people are coming together with peace and just one initiative that, okay, how we can uh, work for peace and what better understanding amongst the, the human beings. So this is something that was very important for us. Uh, Alhamdulillah. I'm glad you added that color. That sounds, uh, I did not know that the apostolic nuncio was there and he addressed the, the group as well. That sounds, sounds excellent. Alhamdulillah. You mentioned Alhamdulillah. that you were, you were looking for, you already sounds like you're thinking about future events and adding a Q and a and things like this. So what, is there another a date in mind? Would it be next year? Is it, you know, do you have anything uh, planned yeah. already? Next year, I think we are planning in February. Uh, just a bit earlier um, than uh, this year that we uh, did the event. So these, these were the dates suggested by uh, some uh, participants uh, there and uh, some people who couldn't attend this year. And uh, so because of the, the difficulty that they had uh, with our event was that uh, it was right next to one of the national holidays. So th they advised us that, okay, we should do it, uh, you know, a bit earlier. Uh, and then more people will be, you know, willing to attend as well. Uh, so that that is something uh, that we are planning, and uh, we are also going to different, you know, cities as well. So straight after this event, I went to um, um, Thessaloniki. Um, but this event was held in Athens, so I went to Thessaloniki, and we did some we did some events like uh, uh, meet a Muslim as well. So people came, and we spoke to them as well. Uh, and different different other initiatives. So inshallah, when uh, uh, our new year has started uh, as well, uh, as far as the administration is concerned, so we will be uh, doing uh, a lot of other events, uh, you know, with regards to Q&A and bringing people, mainly the purpose is to bring people closer and together. So that's what we'll be doing, inshallah. Sounds like a really good busy schedule. So Imam, Imam Nasir, <laughs> thank you very much uh, for joining us on the Pathway to Peace Show. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Jazakumullah. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi So Sufyan, that, this, uh, that was the bit that I found really interesting was right at the end where he mentioned that the apostolic nuncio for Greece, the representative of the Pope, effectively was uh, able to not only attend the event, but actually spoke at the event as well, which shows you know, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community building this bridge, bringing together people of different faiths, creating this forum or platform for people to come together from different faiths, from the local government as well, and talk about peace. Yeah, indeed, and it and it and it directly relates to the message we read from from His Holiness that he sent to this conference uh, as well, where he was talking about focusing on the commonalities and bringing people together. So uh, you can see how uh, Imam Nasir Nasir is it Nasir? It's yeah. Imam Nasir. I keep saying Nasir. Apologies, uh, but Imam Nasir. As, as a missionary and as a follower of His Holiness and as a representative of His Holiness in Greece uh, was um, echoing the same sentiments of, of His Holiness and, and doing exactly as per 
quote-unquote instruction to uh, bring people together, unite people together. And this is exactly what uh, this this conference was all about, and this is the exact reason why these conferences are held. And I think having a representative of the Pope is is a huge step uh, to bringing these communities together and it reminds me of the recent meeting and I know you asked the question about the Coptic community in Greece as well Arif uh, to Imam Nasir uh, and just recently His Holiness had an audience with uh, the leader of the Coptic Christians here in the UK mm. uh, so that was uh, a historic event and I think um, I, I pray that maybe one day in our lifetimes Arif we will get to see an event where the Pope himself and the Caliph of the, um, the Muslim community are are sitting together who knows it's it's um if you listen to what is being said by the pope as well at this time as well there yeah. does seem an inclination even more even more than before to to come together with those of faith in other other religions as well and try and bring this bring together around come together as as you know people who believe in god to this commonality that is required so much at this time I, th- I think what we should do now is let's get into some of the contents of the address. And I think it's important to mention that although this the keynote address was delivered by uh, Imam Nasir, the national president of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Greece, you know, he was also quick to mention on the interview there through humility, really, that he had taken his speech from the writings of His Holiness, Hazrat Mizam Masur Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand, the worldwide head and caliph of the Ahmadiyya community. So he had taken inspiration from previous things he had said and brought, pulled together some key points around the theme of, of integration and, uh, uh, and you know, uh, work, the integration between the West and Islam effectively, which is a theme that's been talked about so much in Europe in particular, you know, the impact of uh, migration into Europe, of Muslims and Europe. It's We see it all the time, Sophia, and even look at France, for example. We did a whole show where we spoke about France and the, the hijab ban and things there as well. There's a constant tension just when you think it's, kind of gone quiet it seems to come back again in different guises it is a uh, you know it is a topic we've spoken about before but i think we need to keep speaking about it because it keeps coming up yeah it does it keeps it, it keeps coming up and it's just this this islamophobia that just keeps is is almost become a part of society and that's why we the Ahmadiyya muslim community are trying so hard to break break that stereotype and show that you know, the people you don't need to be afraid of of Muslims. You don't need to be afraid of of, of women uh, wearing the hijab. Uh, there was a study done um, in in France recently that 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 said that you know they were talking about the ill effects of the hijab, and there was the Ahmadiyya Muslim community that actually responded and said, no, this is this is incorrect. It's not the 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 hijab, and in fact, it was. It later came to fruition or, or the realization that the study was conducted with people that were being forced to wear the hijab and not people that were wearing the hijab by choice. Um, but I digress. So, well, it's all relevant. I think yeah. that is often if, if so you were to say to someone Islam in Europe, to me, that's the France is the first thing that kind of pops to mind. So I'm glad you shared that. But let's. Uh, so one of the themes was around what you were talking about here, fear of Islam, if you like. You mentioned Islamophobia. And I want to mention this one thing, which I, th- I found fascinating. So it was mentioned that His Holiness had said previously that it was atheism was actually more of a threat to Western culture than Islam was. So he went on to then say that people should stay true or should try and respect the culture and heritage that they focused on, uh, you know, that they were they have uh, you know, in their area. And he specifically said 
Um, and I'll just mention, here's a quote from the speech by Adal Nasir, the uh, national president. He said, so as a Muslim leader, he, as in Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, the current Ahmadiyya head, he believes that the West should protect its heritage and culture by focusing the energies on arresting the decline on re- in religion and bringing people back towards faith and belief, whether that be Christianity, Judaism or any other. So that, you know, straight away, this concept maybe of, uh, you know, Muslims looking to conquer, looking to enforce their religion, even in the modern day, this misconception is almost diffused immediately by His Holiness actually stressing and emphasizing that if these countries have a his history or with Judaism or Christianity, they should respect that and they should go back to that heritage and culture and try and, you know, be true to that. I found that fascinating. Yeah, and if you if you think about it, it's if everybody followed their own religion, there's no religion in the world that teaches violence and terror and and going out and killing people or whatnot. Uh, stuff that we see being done today, unfortunately, in the name of religion. No religion is out there teaching that because we believe that all religions come from uh, the one God. And, uh, you know, so if everybody were to go back to their book, whether you be a Jew by faith or a Christian by faith, or any other religion, that if you followed your teachings, that the world would be a much, much more peaceful place. And I think it is for this reason that His Holiness is talking about the rapid increase of atheism, because it is when you lose that that uh, connection or that belief in God that things kind of run amok, because there's no longer uh, the accountability factor, and people don't feel like they're accountable to any any larger power and and this could be one of the reasons why you know crime takes place things start to go go wrong but if everybody always remembered and this is something that islam teaches us is to constantly have this thought in your mind that okay maybe nobody else is watching but god is watching you yep. so it, when when you have that in your in your mind and your purpose your your root cause is to keep your creator and and god happy with you then you're not going to do those things so so it's for that reason that i believe his holiness is always trying to bring people back to their own faith if that is islam then then great come back to the true teachings of islam and if it's christianity then then look at the teachings of jesus and and follow those teachings and if you're a jew by faith then then follow your teachings read your holy book the torah understand the scripture and and practice its teachings to the fullest extent Absolutely. And you went on uh, in terms of the idea of compulsion in religion as well. This was another theme that was mentioned in this speech. And, you know, it's something that we repeat often on the show, but we can never repeat it enough, really, which is that the Holy Quran specifically rejects any kind of uh, forcing people in matters of faith. And in the speech, um, Imam Nasir specifically mentioned chapter 2, verse 257 of the Holy Quran. And he said the Holy Quran has categorically stated that there should be no compulsion in matters of religion. So that, again, like I said, it's mentioned so many times that we should really emphasize that because there is this misconception that Islam is something that is forced. There is a misconception that if someone leaves Islam or, rever- uh, you know, yeah, leaves Islam, apostasy occurs, that the, the punishment for that is death. And these are not in line with Islamic teaching because this verse of the Holy Quran, which to Muslims is considered, you know, the the highest authority in terms of uh, religious law, uh, you know, it's clearly said that there's no compulsion uh, you know, in matters of religion, so you can't force someone to uh, to believe one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting when any, anyone ever says that you know 
Islam forces you. This is a, a verse, and it's at the very, almost at the very beginning of of the Holy Quran. It's in chapter two, mm. and then outrightly says there's no compulsion in matters of of religion. And I think I think it's in another part of the Quran as well, where where um, God says that for for you your religion and for me my religion. Um, I forget the context yep. of of that verse, but that uh, that also comes to mind when we're discussing uh, compulsion and and faith. Yeah, exactly. Ultimately, if if you cannot agree on a particular common set of beliefs, then you uh, you basically accept, and the Quran says that you accept that you know you won't believe what I believe, nor will I believe what you believe. So you you agree to disagree, which again, if everyone followed that teaching, there would be an you know there would uh, you know uh, it would be the world would be a more peaceful place, not just in matters of religion, but in matters of every anything actually. Um, social media, if people were not debating, everything would be a, a lot quieter place. Um, let's move on to other topics highlighted to services to humanity. And, and I liked what Imam Nasir said on this because he made it very relevant for those sitting in front of him in, in the audience. He mentioned that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community lays great emphasis on services to humanity. And he said, since the pandemic started, we've been able to provide the needy in Greece with over 40,000 warm meals, over 100,000 meals uh, with our dry food rations project with support from a humanitarian organization called Humanity First. And then he mentions in terms of the core Islamic teaching, he says the founder of Islam, Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, also taught that if a person who is not grateful to his fellow human beings, he cannot be grateful to Allah the Almighty. What a beautiful principle. Thus, it is necessary that alongside the worship of God, a Muslim must fulfill the rights of humanity. And again, Sufyan, that extract is is something uh, you know we've had whole shows about almost around the responsibilities of um, Muslims to fulfill the rights to God in terms of prayer and their worship but also the rights to mankind and the reason we emphasize that is you know you need to be an integrated member if you're a Muslim you're living in the West you need to or anywhere in the world you need to be you know uh, adhering to the laws of the land being loyal to your your country for example and you know being a, a, a member of society who positively you know contributes yeah, if you listen to the Pathway to Peace show regularly, you'll notice that this is a common thread uh, amongst many, many of our shows and episodes here on the Pathway to Peace show. And it, it all boils down to two things, right? Fulfilling the rights of God, making sure you're 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 doing what you need to to pay the respects and the due to that being that created you. So for us Muslims, that means praying five times a day, uh, keeping the fast during the month of Ramadan. Uh, focusing in on the on those five pillars, giving alms, and once in a lifetime going for the pilgrimage to Mecca at at minimum, and then of course, if you want to uh, fulfill the rights of God in, in parallel to that, you also have to fulfill the rights of 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 your fellow man. And His Holiness the Fifth Caliph, uh, may God strengthen his hands, has on numerous occasions reminded us, and the one the one example that stands out in my mind, Arif, is is where His Holiness was was talking about the rights of neighbors, and uh, at that time I remember, you know, I was just starting my my home renovation project, and we were literally having discussions with our neighbors, and and it was after that that message from His Holiness that I was like, okay. Well, we we have to come to some kind of compromise with our neighbors because that is our duty as Muslims to fulfill the rights of our our neighbors uh, who fall within that category, obviously, right. of fulfilling the rights of mankind. So that's that's what stand stood out to me uh, most recently, and uh, you know it is it is quite uh, scary, for lack of a better term, 
uh, when even at the time of the prophet, you know, the, the, the rights of neighbors was mentioned so much that, that his companions feared that the neighbors would, would have some right to people's inheritance. Yep. Uh, and it was asked of the prophet, but um, uh, it, it wasn't, it, it didn't become uh, the laws, uh, part of the laws of inheritance. Otherwise, who knows? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. And also neighbors is not just those who are physically just next to you, but it's got such a wide context as well that I agree. It's such an all-encompassing teaching on that. I want to turn to another thing that was highlighted, which was very relevant for the local community. So this was around places of worship. So the first piece I want to mention was that um, you know, Imam Nasir mentioned that he said, in the recent past, several churches and he's, you know, have been desecrated by so-called Muslim refugees. And then he goes on, uh, or actually he mentioned this earlier, linked to that. He, First of all, well, he did go on then to say that this has nothing to do with the teachings of Islam. And he highlighted that actually at the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, when he returned to Mecca and earlier where he had been driven out of, you know, the first thing he did was to declare that there would be no retribution and, you know, uh, there was uh, a complete armistice was kind of given. But I also want to link it to something earlier that was mentioned in the address as well. When he talked about jihad, this concept of uh, jihad, which is probably the most misunderstood concept in, in, in the Islamic terminology, um, it's so interesting that in the verse that talks about jihad or allows war to take place, it's very specific around why that is. And it mentions, this was mentioned in the speech directly, and it talks, you know, it links directly to this comment about churches being attacked because. It's actually, um, let me read the quote from the, the speech. So Imam Nasir mentioned, he said, In chapter 22, verses 40 to 41, the Holy Quran very clearly states that if the aggressors were not stopped, all churches, synagogues, temples, mosques, and other places of worship would be under grave threat as the underlying intention of the disbelievers in Mecca was to destroy all traces of religion from the face of the earth. This proves that Islam protects all religions, end quote. So there it's mentioned, and I always find this fascinating. This is something that I really find interesting, is the Holy Quran, the, the Holy Book of Islam, when it talks about defending places, when it first time it mentions using aggression to try and turn a certain people away to stop certain activity, it specifically mentions churches and synagogues and temples and mosques. That even to the fact that synagogues and churches are mentioned in the Quran, to me, was quite an interesting fact. So in the same sentence as mosques, so it's showing that the protection of all of these places of worship uh, are important. And we, that's the only reason, you know, fighting is allowed. It's to control an aggressor who, if they weren't stopped, would basically destroy everything. Yeah. And and it's, it's important for our listeners to also remember that it is not the defense of or it is not to uh, defend Islam necessarily that jihad is carried out, but jihad is carried out when, when to defend the 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 oneness and the worship of God. So, because worship of God happens in synagogues, churches, and and temples, uh, anywhere where there's the, the there's the worship of of the one true God, me as a Muslim, am am supposed to defend that place and uh, let the people that want to worship there worship there. And it's also important to remember that at that time, you know, the the attackers, the people, the Meccans that were attacking the Muslims were idol worshippers. So they, they had gone away from the concept of, of, of worshipping one one true God and, and they were um, attacking uh, the Meccans and, and threat, or they were attacking um, 
the uh, places of worship uh, that were being defended by the Muslims. Uh, so this is in stark contrast to what we see today where we see so-called Muslims um, desecrating churches and synagogues. And this is what Imam Nasir was alluding to in his speech is that this is in no way, shape or form in in um, in line with the teachings of, of the religion of Islam. Absolutely. And it talks about, you know, if we think about the time of Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he, you know, he allowed Christians to worship directly in the mosque as well. Himself, he had great respect for other the other faiths. And there was a lot of interaction between, you know, Islam and, and the other religions and Judaism in particular. And they all lived together in peace at that time, right, as a, as a model for how these, uh, you know, what Islam really does teach in terms of the cohabitation of these different faiths that, you know, all together because there's so much commonality um let's let's move on to the role of women which was also a, a theme that was highlighted and uh Sufyan, you mentioned this a, a little bit already um i want to mention a quote here from the address of imam nasir he said first of all it should be noted that islam was the first religion to give women the rights to inherit the rights to divorce and ver- the various other rights in addition islam emphasizes the vast importance of educating girls and giving them opportunities for personal growth and development, end quote. So for me, I think this is a really interesting topic for us to focus on because we've seen in Afghanistan, for example, you know, you've seen it very um, visually people have talked about the Taliban not allowing um, girls to be educated and things like this, where actually we, un- we learn here that, you know, Islam places great emphasis uh, on education for you know, daughters just as much as it does for, for sons. And in, in addition to that, it was the first religion to give women right for things like inheritance and divorce. And, you know, those were rights that were only given in the last sort of recently, uh, relatively uh, in the uh, in the Western world or in the other Christian countries, for example, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how much, how many rights women have in in the religion of Islam. And you know, just the other day, I was talking to my wife about, you know, I was actually arguing that it's unfair for men because, <laughs> you know, she can go out and and make a living, and I have no rights to touch her money. <laughs> and so many people don't know that that if a woman earns and goes out and makes a living, uh, and 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 earns an income and comes back to her home uh, she doesn't have to contribute to the house it's all her money she yeah. gets to keep it what other religion teaches teaches that or has that teaching where a woman keeps her own money and it is the man's responsibility and this is what I was arguing jokingly with my wife about I was like it's so unfair like I have to cover the bills I have to cover everything and everything that you make is yours and I can't touch it well, so so you could argue opposite right interestingly as well in the UK I think it was only 1900 when women were allowed to open a bank account in their own name as yeah. well right which, which illustrates your point really nicely um, I'm not going to go anywhere near that other topic though so I'm going to move on um, in the recent past as well so this is just a counterpoint on this or an interesting contrast mentioned here before we move on the last thing I'll say uh, on this section really is that uh, Imam Nasir also mentioned this as well. He said that in in recent past in Greece, we have seen several cases of Greeks abusing or killing their wives. And then he asks a rhetorical question. You know, should their actions be blamed on the Christian Greek Orthodox teaching? Absolutely not. In the same way, the actions of illiterate and extremist Muslims who happen to call themselves Muslims, or, sorry, extremist people who happen to call themselves Muslims should not be blamed on Islam. And I think this is a, uh, you know, a very key aspect that this this happens so often in the in the world and uh, not just in the world of religion but in so many things in life where you know the 
the behavior of a small minority who belong to a particular religion or ethnicity or group or even football team, let's say, or sport team, they're the actions of a small minority can sometimes lead to a whole group of people being painted in a certain way. And I think what he's emphasizing here is that, you know, those recent killings of people killing their wives in Greek, in Greece, you know, that may have been by people professing to be Christians has nothing to do with the Christian faith. It's not the correct application of the Christian faith. It's not, you know, the right teaching. Similarly, um, from an Islamic point of view, uh, that is also, um, you know, not in line with Islamic teaching. And then just before we end this section, I want to just read the last thing he said as a conclusion. He said, let us all, irrespective of our differences, join together and work with a spirit of mutual respect, tolerance and affection for the peace of the world and to promote freedom of belief. You're listening to the Pathway to Peace show on the Voice of Islam radio. Be sure to follow us at Voice of Islam UK on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and TikTok and use the hashtag VOI Peace to send us your thoughts, comments and feedback. Today, we've covered the National Peace Symposium that was held recently in Athens, the sixth such conference in Greece, um, on the topic of Islam, Europe, peace, identity and integration. We've looked at the special message from His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand, the worldwide head and caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. We've had an interview with Imam Atal Nasir, the national president of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Greece, and we've taken a look at some of the main messages from his keynote address, things around the misconception around jihad, we talked about integration and we talked about the role of women in Islam, some misconceptions there and other topics as well. I want to end tonight by repeating the closing line by His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand, the worldwide head of the community, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. He said, let us all, irrespective of our differences, join together and work with a spirit of mutual respect tolerance and sincerity towards developing true and sustainable peace in the world. May Allah the Almighty enable mankind to pull back from the brink of catastrophe and for peace and justice to prevail in the world. Amin. From the entire Pathway to Peace team, thank you for listening to the Pathway to Peace here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Until next time, we hope you will join us again. Um, and until next time, from Sufyan Faruqi, this is Arif Khan saying Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you.